Welcome to Dream Big with Big Dreamers, conversations for career growth, inspiration, and insight. It's time to dream big. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm well, Donna. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. It's springtime. Everything is in bloom. Life seems like it's getting back to normal. Yeah, it was uh, Easter yesterday. It was... uh, you know, so we're uh, Easter Monday used to be a big thing. I remember like it was kind of like a day off and it doesn't feel like it's not anymore. Today. Is it? It isn't. No, it isn't. No. So so did the Easter Bunny bring you a nice big basket full of candy? No, no candy. I had no candy. It's great. So I'm very healthy. No diabetic coma. I'm feeling great. I'm a little drowsy. I don't have I don't have coffee, which is killing me. But other than that, I'm doing well. Well, so we've we we have an interesting guest today, Scott. His name is Lamar Tyler. Are you ready for his bio? I'm going to read it straight from my my piece of paper. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Using his motto, the gatekeepers are gone, Lamar has leveraged social media to move his online brands from small personal blogs to an international brand with over 650,000 social media fans and 55,000 plus customers in all 50 states and 43 countries around the world. Among the recognition received for his work, Lamar, along with his wife, Ronnie, they were named one of Ebony Magazine's Power 100, a list of the top 100 movers and shakers in the black community. They're finalists for Black Enterprises Family Business of the Year, finalists for Infusionsoft Small Business Icon Award, and winners of the ClickFunnels 2 Comma Award. Lamar currently trains entrepreneurs how to leverage digital marketing strategies to scale their businesses with traffic, sales, and profit, the TSP brand. Lamar, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, Lamar, like we talk about, you know, the, the name of this podcast, Dream Big, with big dreamers, I mean... You head up a digital marketing, education, and consulting brand, Traffic, Sales, and Profit. You speak at events and conferences across the country. You conduct workshops, seminars. You host discussions on topics, you know, from entrepreneurship to digital marketing. You have directed and produced seven full-length documentaries. You've co-founded the largest African-American marriage and parenting site on the web, blackandmarriedwithkids.com, no spaces. Um, You're a brand ambassador for Hanes, Pampers, Fisher-Price, Kmart, Consumer Reports, General Mills, and you're the spokesperson for Box Tops for Education. You dream big, boy. (laughs) (laughs) We've done a little, but you know what's crazy, even as you read all of that off, is that we feel like we're still just getting started. Awesome. So like, you're still like, what is that vision? Like when you are dreaming big, what is it that like, where, where do you want to go? Like if this isn't it, where do you want to go? Yeah. And I, and I don't even know where like the end, end, end is, but, but most of the things we've done, um, we have like several online brands, as you mentioned, right. To focus on uplifting, encouraging, empowering the African-American community. But as we do it, like we literally want to shift and change the outlook and the future of our entire community. So you can't do that and say you're going to dream small. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't, <laughs> you, I mean, really, right. You can't say, Hey, you know, I want to, um, close the economic wealth gap. I want to empower more people so they can hire in lower unemployment rates. 
Um, but, you know, my goal to do that is to get a coaching program and have, you know, five clients in the next, you know, year and a half, right? We can't do that. So we need massive scale. We need to touch it and get our products into the hands of people. We need to be able to educate the masses in a way that keeps continuing to push and propel the things that we do out bigger and better so more people get their eyes on it. And I, I love the name of this podcast because it's essentially that we have to dream big. And, and by dreaming big, we start with the end of mind. We, we, we set up these goals that we say, this is the way we're charging towards. I have no idea how we're going to get there. We're going to create a plan. But right now, right, it's scary to, to, to think that we're going to get there. We don't really see, right, it's kind of foggy if we look down the path. But we're going to create a way. We're going to kind of keep charging towards that. And then every time we set goals and dreams like that, we continue to knock them down. Like, did you always dream big? Like, when you, I'm, I'm trying to picture Lamar Tyler as a small child. Like, I have a sense that, like, a lemonade stand just didn't pay enough. <laughs> so it wasn't worth your time. <laughs> like, what, what were you like as a kid? Like, were your parents, like, were your parents big dreamers? Did they push this on you? Like, wh- what, what, what made this happen? Yes, interesting question. Um, I think as a kid, I always was a, was a dream, uh, big dreamer. I think as a kid, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I did not have a family of entrepreneurs. I did not know what that looked like. I didn't have someone close to me. Sometimes people say, you must have grown up in a family, you know, people all around. Nope, I didn't. Um, but, you know, what, what? one of the things that my mother imparted in me is the love of reading. So I read a lot. You know, I, I still read, like right in front of me in my office now is a huge book. Case I mentioned, we just moved to a new office, right? The prize of my new office, brand new building, is a bookcase where I was able to get all my books on one bookcase. And I'm still seeing like gaps. I'm like, I need more. But but literally, those books are what gave me the ability to dream bigger, to see what the possibilities were, to see what other people are doing and have done in the past, and to encourage me to say, hey, you know what? If they did those things, I can too. Now, the way I dream now, my wife Ronnie is my business partner. I think it scares her just a little bit. Uh, Ronnie's not always about this. <laughs> She's like, dude, like your dreams are like, we're good. Like, can we just, can we just live in this moment right now? But I'm always kind of pushing that, that needle onto the next thing to get bigger but, than we but are. But that's a nice balance to have, I think, in a relationship, right? That one person who maybe has their feet on the ground and the other one who has their head in the sky and it allows you to, to go further together. Oh yeah. She saves me. If it wasn't for her, we'd probably be broke. <laughs> we'd, probably, we'd probably be totally totally she says all the time that I, I stretch and i pull her beyond you know what she's normally comfortable for and it works in a good place but and, and she probably keeps you from totally. like ripping in half oh totally, <laughs> right. totally. I'm, I'm i'm a cowboy i got two six shooters on one side for the other right I'm, I'm slinging and shooting the whole time so she definitely keeps me grounded and keeps me in a position to where uh she makes me calculate what i'm doing more she makes me not take every single risk because before her Every single idea that came up would have to get acted upon. But now, you know, sometimes I say, you know what? Well, let me give and take. And this one I can put to the side. This one right here I'm really passionate about. And it helps me kind of uh, use more discernment along that path. That Well, that makes sense. You know, you, you talked about that bookshelf. And you had said to me that uh, one of you, I think it's a book, Succeeding Against the Odds yes, by correct. John yes. H. Johnson. I, I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Succeeding Against the Odds. One of, one of my favorite, or not one of my, the favorite books, Autobiography of John H. Johnson. Uh, John H. Johnson was born um, in Arkansas, I believe, right, on the banks of the Mississippi River in total poverty. Like the town he grew up in actually got totally flooded out by the Mississippi twice. Uh, in eighth grade, he, he repeated the eighth grade because his town had no high school. 
So his mother didn't want him just, you know, like getting into things that boys get into. So before they were moving to Chicago the next year, he just stayed in school and, and did the eighth grade again, even though he was a great scholar, uh, just to stay out of trouble. Then moved to Chicago and built an iconic uh, brand, right? Iconic American brand, Johnson Publishing, which right now, even though they no longer own the building, the Johnson Publishing building is still on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. So the things he was able to do, the things he was able to build through uh, Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, Fashion Fed Cosmetics, like an entire list of amazing brands during the time of Jim, Jim Crow, during the time of segregation, during the time when um, so many things he was, you know, kind of shut out of. It's just amazing. And I say, hey, if he was able to do that, then, you know, there's nothing that should stop me from dreaming bigger and going after these dreams and goals that I have now. Do you feel that... I is you know like I'm I'm thinking about all that you're doing with digital marketing. Yep. And technology. And I see kids with their phones. I don't see kids with their books. Do you <laughs> feel like this is something that's going to be a problem in the future? Do you know, kids need to look at these books or are, are they on their are, am I just assuming they're doing Instagram and they're re really reading a Kindle? Yeah, I don't know, right? I know, like, our, our kids uh, read a lot, right? They may not be reading what I want them to read all the time, but they, but they, are, they are reading, right? That's, that's the good thing. And I think sometimes we, as we get older, can look at things and say, all right, you know, these things aren't happening. But I think in a lot of ways, the, the format of education is changing, too. So where we may say, hey, you know what? We want them to pick up books. For them, it may be consuming content on YouTube. Or it may be, like you said, listening to... Um, uh, you know, audio books and things like that, which, which I'm not I'm not an audio book person at all. I like physical books. I like, you know, dog in dog uh, in pages. I like underlining and, and writing in a book. Um, so, you know, I think it's just just probably a generational shift where I think they still will get the information, but they may just get in a different format than we're used to. You, you, your motto is the gatekeepers are gone. And yeah. I know what a gatekeeper is because I was in sales and I used to dial for dollars <laughs> and I'd make like, you know, 80, 80 cold calls before noon. And like the gatekeeper was like that thorn in my side. And I fell in love with LinkedIn because it got me past the gatekeeper. And this it. was back in 2005, 2006, 2007. And to me, that was huge. So when, when you say the gatekeepers are gone, I want to I hear more about this. Sure. So uh, my first book, that was like, Gatekeepers Are Gone, Hustle Plus Technology Equals Success. And as we built our first brand that you mentioned, blackandmarriedwithkids.com, we started as a uh, you know, personal blog my wife and I wrote. And then we had grown it to where at one point we had you know, over 40 writers that were writing. We had an editor. Uh, we had a bunch of uh, ambassador programs that we were leading. As you mentioned, we were spokespeople for Box Tops Education, worked with many of America's largest brands, were, you know, getting all type of press, right? Today's show, uh, um, CNN, HLN, Good Morning America, all types of things. And, but the foundation, the core foundation of that was the fact that the gatekeepers are gone. And when I talked about that, what I was talking about, Donna, is the, is the uh, realization that the cost of technology was drastically dropping at the time and it still is drastically dropped right if you and scott think about it this thing maybe like 10 years back 15 years back how much did it cost for like a great website like a, a great like a great website might you know like something phenomenal there might be like a 10 fifteen thousand dollar type of situation where now you know a wordpress website you could probably get somebody set up for the hundreds of dollars right and just have something that looks 
exactly like a lot of the major businesses have and what they have on their sites. Because back then, it was a major difference between what your website looked like and what the Coca-Cola or the Home Depot or some other company looked like too. But now, because of the lowering cost of technology, we can you know have a comparison. Because of lowering cost of technology now, we can shoot video and have the same quality of video that we see when we cut on the actual television. And a lot of times, not only can we shoot that video from our cameras, we can shoot and have comparable quality from our actual cell phones. So, so not only, you came at a, at a time when not only did the cost of technology drop, but you also had the rise of social media. So for so many times and so many years, you had these gatekeepers in business, like you mentioned, the people that you need to go through in order to access right, the decision makers. Or if you were going B2C, you had to get access and approval from these people before you could even sell to your customers. Even if the customers wanted what you had to offer, you still had to go through someone. So, you know, we were talking about younger people just a few minutes ago. I spoke at a high school once here in Atlanta. And, you know, I had some uh, young people in the group that said they wanted to be musicians or, you know, producers. So I said, okay, um, if you want to be a producer, you know, what would you have to do? And they said, we make music. I said, where would you make music at? They said, at home, in my bedroom or, you know, wherever I'm at. And I'm thinking, okay, when I was growing up, you wanted to make music, you had to go to a studio. Then I said, okay, like, like, what are you making this on? They said, we make it on our laptops. We got software we download for free, and we produce beats on our laptops. I said, okay, right? They said, okay, then when you have that, how do you actually get it out to people? Well, they said, we, we upload it onto a website where people can access it. It can be YouTube. It could be, you know, any type of, any type of platform where people can just listen to it. And I'm thinking about when I was growing up, you'd have to um, buy studio time. You'd have to pay for somebody to actually produce and engineer the tracks. Then you'd have to, even once you got done with all that money, you'd have to go where? To L.A. and New York, because that's where all the music companies and labels were. You'd have to beg <laughs> to get your, your demo into the hands of not even an a, a executive, right? Just into the hands of maybe an intern. <laughs> so they could have to actually sift through, and then they would take the ones they think are good to the executives. Now, because the gatekeepers are gone, a kid in his bedroom can make amazing music Upload to YouTube or Instagram, you know, collect their own following and then be able to monetize that. So just again, like really just emphasizing because of the rise of social media, we can connect directly with people and lowering costs of technology. We have access that we've never had before that enables us to make movies, to make films, to create products or services that we can put directly into the hands of consumers in a way that we've never been able to do before as entrepreneurs. It's that's it's so true. And and it's a lot of power and yet at the same time people struggle you know it's, it's like they have the ability they can do all of these things but they still don't know how to get started what 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 has allowed you to sort of say you know what i'm moving ahead i don't you know i'm, I'm using the tools that are here at my fingertips that's a great question one of the things i say is that we're at an amazing time because of the internet everyone can get their product service you know creative you know, ideas out into the open. We're also at a bad time because everyone can get their products, <laughs> services, <laughs> or creative ideas out into the open. So there's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of good stuff. It's a lot of junk. It's it's your job, right? Everybody listen. It's your job as a entrepreneur, as a business owner, to be able to cut through the noise, right? I always say there's four C's I normally use. First one I say is content. We want to create amazing, amazing content that stands out for what everyone else is doing. Um, the second C, I say beyond content, then we want to be consistent. That means we're always showing up. Because a lot of people, I may run across a great podcast, a great YouTube video, a great blog article, 
and I'll, I'll make note of it. Then when I go back the next week or the week after, they haven't updated. Then I go back the week after that or the week after that, and they haven't updated again. And then by that time, I just forget who they are, and I've kind of moved on. So we got to create content. It's got to be consistent. Once it's consistent and we have the content, then we have to infuse creativity into it. And the creativity part is what, again, makes you stand out beyond everyone else. There are a lot of people talking about the same things online, but the people we gravitate towards are the people that deliver it in a succinct fashion that we can connect with. And maybe it's the way they talk. Maybe it's the presentation of it. Maybe it's the style of it. Maybe it's the format, right? But it has to be some way that's creative that makes them stand out. Then the fourth C you always talk about is the culture. And I feel like when you combine those first three, the content, consistency, creativity, then you create a culture. When you create a culture, that's when you begin to attract a tribe towards you. And a community. And I'm, I'm real big on community, right? I'm a community uh, person when it comes to online because when you have a community, then you have people that begin begin to become your ride or die listeners and followers. They keep showing up for you. They keep wanting to hear more about what you have to offer. That that before you can even sell them anything, they're already telling you what they need to be sold to. And then you'll find yourself not fishing out in vast oceans, but you know, fishing in a small pond that's stocked with fish right where people literally say hey these are my pain points these are my problems these are my challenges and they want you to help solve those issues and challenges because you've already been serving them with value up to that point yeah i mean this is kind of i mean a follow-up to donna's question and maybe it's a a kind of similar question i wonder about with the amount of options on out there for entrepreneurs how do you avoid paralysis by analysis right how do you avoid sort of just get inertia of oh my gosh there's all these options how do i say what how do you how do you learn what to say yes to all right so uh what to say yes to what as a like me in specific or uh, as an entrepreneur like different as op- opportunities yeah. come up or? yeah different opportunities how do you how do you develop the kind of discernment process to weed out good ideas and good options and good opportunities from bad ones all right. Great question, Scott. So I'd say it's probably a mixture, right? So number one, I'm looking at things and I'm saying, all right, if, if I just have no experience in this specific category, right, on this specific thing that's coming up, I'm saying, all right, what are people that have businesses like my doing, right? What are, what are uh, competitors or, or people in the same space? Are they doing different things online that may benefit me? Um, that they're being successful with, or at least it looks like they're being successful with it. Can I implement some of those things in my business? Then one of the things I'm crossing along with that as well as seeing what they're doing or what are things that I natively uh, would be good at that, that like natively just fit me and what I do. So I'm not a selfie person at all. Right. Uh, no shade to the people that are selfie people. It's just, it's just like it just feels awkward to me when I do it. So no matter how much I'm trying to my wife with some way, it's like, hey, you need to get a selfie. You know, you should, you should record. I'm like, I just can't do it. Right. It doesn't feel right. So when I'm looking and seeing what are the things that are successfully happening in the marketplace, I'm also looking and seeing, okay, what are the things that I would feel comfortable doing? Because the more comfortable I feel doing, the more likely I am to actually take action and make that happen and not get the paralysis by analysis and not get stuck. And then the other thing I always tell entrepreneurs as well is that you have to take action and get going, right? Always say, hey, they think about doing webinars. Guess what? Your first webinar will not be your best webinar, but you can't ever get to the best webinar if you don't do the first one. You, you know, if I want to do an online challenge, no matter what it is I want to do, I have to know that, hey, I got to get the first one out of the gate. I got to get it rolled out. And then once I get it rolled out, I have to be able to collect data from it. You know, who engaged with it? Who didn't engage? Did people 
um, get registered? Did they not get registered? Did I do paid advertising? Who clicked? Who didn't click? And then as I take all that data, I can just improve the process along the way. I think too many times as entrepreneurs, we expected every launch, every uh, you know video, every blog post, everything that we do to be a home run, not realizing that it takes steps in order to actually get to those points. You know what I'm what I'm thinking now is how much. I, my, my brain is going in two different directions now. I'm thinking how much can be outsourced? How much must must you do? And is it important to have like a mentor or a, like a coach to help you do these things? And if, if I'm not just laying enough on you right now, Lamar, do you have a coach that you turn to? So we are always in some type of program, right? So right now it's not a specific coach, but in, in the past we've had coaches and consultants uh, we've been in mastermind programs, we've been in group coaching programs, we've gone to uh, tons of conferences, which we still do conferences, right? We've been doing virtual conferences, can't wait to get to in-person conferences in these next few months. Uh, but we've been doing all of that. And the reason why is that we found out after probably six or seven years of being in business that we were doing it the hard way. And the hard way was trying to figure out every single thing on our own. And the shortcut was getting with somebody that already had the answers, that had already been there, that already could say, hey, don't do that, do this instead. Hey, I've already lost money doing that strategy. This is a strategy you want to use. And realizing that, hey, no matter what they told us, we still had to walk it out. We still had to implement it ourselves and see how it worked with our audience, with, with what and how we actually deliver content and information. But that was a drastically uh, different situation and drastically improved what we were trying to do when we got the insight and information from somebody else to move faster. So that was the shortcut in business. I, I can imagine it's, we've already said there's so much out there. It's like, how do you turn, who do you turn to? And where, you know, where, how can you get that fast track? So definitely yeah. finding that mentorship is, is an important thing. Yeah. And Donna, um, if, 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 I could, if I could, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to add one more thing to that too, right? Cause you talk about, all right, finding the mentorship. And a lot of people say, well, it's hard. You know, how can I kind of discern, you know, who I should pick? And it's a few things I look for. Number one, I want to look for a track record of success. Because this great, right? Like coaching and education, all this stuff is moving on and moving on and moving up. But as it does, there are also a lot of people in the marketplace that actually haven't done the things that they're teaching or don't actually have success, right? Or haven't trained somebody successful so they can just watch other people kind of train and teach things and they want to come and kind of train and teach you. So do they have a, a track record of success where they've actually done the things themselves or they've taught other people and no people have been successful? Um, can they actually show you like, hey, this is a proven methodology that works and this is how we kind of work through it. And can they actually let you know that, hey, at the end of this process, this is what you should be able to do or where you should be. And this is the you know proposed timeline it should take. Because a lot of time that timeline, a lot of that depends on what the entrepreneur is doing or not doing. But, you know, they should have a plan. They should be able to tell you what's different about what they're doing. And they should be able to show you some success. I'm curious, how do you assess risk as an entrepreneur? Like, how do you develop, do you have a kind of, uh, you have some ba best practices or basic principles when you're, because I mean, entrepreneur, any entrepreneurial endeavor is going to involve some risk, right? Scott, I told you earlier, I'm a cowboy. I have no risk. That's my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I says it. I tell my wait, wife, she says, no, we're not doing that. That's how I, 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 I was going to say, Lamar, get Ronnie. <laughs> right, right. This is we definitely a question for uh, you know, so so for us, that does, but it is a great question because um, what I'm finding and what I've seen from from you know people we work with and even our own business and others that I've studied is that like those greatest entrepreneurs do take massive risk, right? 
um, and the people we, we aspire to be towards. And, and a lot of times the people that don't take risk at all, like my wife, I told you, she says all the time, like we wouldn't be where we are if I just allowed her to kind of live in her, her conservative zone of comfort, right? Um, so, so for us, like I said, it's, it's us bouncing everything off each other. If you don't have a partner, it could be a mentor. It could be an advisor, right? I think like one of the parts, to answer Scott's question, one of the parts, it's important that you have somebody else that you can move these things, you know, through and you can kind of hear the process of what they think about it. Donna, you mentioned a second ago, a coach, right? Like that's somebody you can toss these things off of and say, Hey, what do you think? And to make sure, like I said, you're, you're not being too aggressive. Or like I said, in the other case, being aggressive enough. Because that is the thing too, right? Making sure that you're actually thinking big enough to say, hey, let's get to where we want to get to. In addition to that, what I would also say is I would want to look and 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 you know see, always say, like, all right, like what, what's my best case, worst case scenarios, right? Like, like where could this land us if everything's work, where could this land us if everything goes wrong? And am I willing, am I willing if things go wrong and don't work out right? Like, like, can I actually eat those consequences? Because you know, we have people here on staff, we have employees w2 employees and i never want to put them at risk right so these 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 um you know uh pivots and changes and things we make in the business are never in a way so that that worst case scenario if it didn't work out it would risk everything we built up to this point you know to me it sounds like you're not you're not motivated by money i'm not getting that impression from like with the, 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 the question about risk, right? You know, some people would be like, well, when I look at risk, like, well, am I going to lose money or am I not going to lose money? You know, am I going to lose my footing? But I think, you know, from what, everything that I've been hearing, you've never once, once mentioned that as, you know, like a goal or anything. So do you, what do you feel is what, what truly motivates you? Like what's pushing you to move forward? I'm, I'm getting the sense that there's, there's this huge passion here and it's it's the end all how the impact that you're making on your community and your family yeah and, and that's totally it for us and like i said now i don't want anybody to uh get any misconceptions like we we totally are focused on driving revenue creating money and driving in but like you said donna the bigger thing for us is how we can reshape and move our community so so when it all boils down to it that's it and internally like the money to me is a benefit of the work that i do and the value that i provide so when we go out and we do different things and, we, and we're going to build, I told my wife a long time ago, well, she thought I was crazy. I said, you know, we'll be wealthy. But I said, I want to be wealthy from actually building it. I, I said, I don't, I don't want to win the lottery. She said, Lamar, I'll win the lottery. I said, well, I, I said, well, you want it. I would, I would partake in the money, but I probably would invest it back into a business because inside of me, like this is what's built inside of me. We talked about when I was younger, as a child, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur one day. And, and the other thing I'll say, Donna, is that as I became an entrepreneur and I learned how to sell and market and things like that, I can create more money. So, so that, that isn't the thing. What most people don't realize is they're, they're new entrepreneurs or new small business owners coming into it, is that once you get your product market fit down, once you know how to, to create a product or service that overcomes people's objections and challenges, you can always create more money. Like, like creating money is not a thing, right? And you'll find that your business becomes an, an ATM machine where, hey, whenever you need to... Um, drive and increase capital, you know what levers to kind of pull in the business to make those things happen. So so beyond that, when I'm looking at the risk, like I said, I'm looking at what's the reward? How close does it get us to the, the big things that we want to accomplish or how far could it take us away from the things that we want to achieve? Mm. Do you, what you're saying right now is reminding me of one of our other clients, uh, not of our clients, but one of our other guests. And they, they talked about this sense of 
it, it was more than just faith, but it was this belief that God was taking care of them and they were always going to be okay. And so they could take, you know, these, these risks in their business. And they always felt that they were, they were provided for. Do you, do you, do you have that, that feeling as well? Or do you feel that it's because of what you've learned that propels you forward and keeps you safe? Or, or do you just, is there always that, that feeling that you're on the precipice? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, I think it's all of that. I think it's, it's um, you know, knowing that, hey, you know, I believe in God, so I'm taken care of. I believe it's, I've put in the work, right? I've, I've learned and, and mastered the craft, and I'm continually learning and, and sharpening that axe and sharpening that skill set to get deeper in and, and to get better at what I do on a continual basis. And it's me knowing that, hey, as different things come up, I can pivot, I can change, and, you know, I can still take advantage of um, the opportunities that come in front of me. And for everybody, like opportunities always come, right? The thing is just to make sure you're prepared to take advantage of when they when they actually appear. But knowing that that as well, like there's not like a, a one-time opportunity. And if you miss that opportunity or you aren't in the right position, you don't get it again. Opportunities come on a regular basis. Like I said, it's just all about positioning yourself and, be, and being uh, prepared to take advantage of them. As an entrepreneur right now, what do you think are the, are the best entrepreneurial opportunities out there? Are there certain business spheres or sectors right now that you think, wow, these are the things that are really have the greatest kind of potential for, you know, to, to, for success. Sure. Great question, Scott. I'll say a few of them. I'll say number one is e-commerce. So e-commerce has been good anyway. E-commerce has been growing anyway, but because of the pandemic and because of COVID, you know, e-commerce jumped, jumped ahead maybe three, four years beyond where it would have been anyway when everyone came home and retail shut down and people were forced to buy. So all of my e-commerce clients basically had their best years ever last year. They had their best quarters ever. So while, you know, there were companies struggling and companies shutting down, these e-com brands, you know, they were having to figure out, okay, how can we get fulfillment ironed down more because we're shipping out more than we ever shipped before? How can we, you know, get our... Um, supply chain moving better? How can we employ more people and, 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 and create more job opportunities because they were going well? And even though, you know, as stores and everything start to open up back, you know, more than, it, than it's been in the last few months, you won't see people shopping at the same rate. You will notice that things will not go back to normal. Those people that before couldn't imagine not going to the grocery store. If they haven't been to the grocery store in the last, you know, six to eight months, or the last year, and they've been now used to getting things delivered, used to getting lunch delivered through Uber Eats and, you know, things like this. You know, used to um, buying some of the things they used to always have to go into the, the drugstore, the shopping mall to buy, but now they get all those things online. Things will not go back completely how they were before. So I definitely say e-commerce. I think training and education. We talked about training, education, coaches, things like that. People are realizing now on a broader scale that, hey, like I said before, that is the shortcut to success. And I think a lot of people are realizing, as Donna mentioned, that, hey, I'm working a busy nine to five. Hey, I got kids. Hey, I got all these different things going on. So I don't have time to just muddle through and try to figure out everything on my own. When is someone that has a course that has education, that has resources that I can get a hold of and hopefully I can just jump right from, you know, step zero to step four or five and get to moving from there. So I think education, coaching, things like that are working well as more people open up to the possibility of it. I'm going to have to sell training in an e-commerce model. <laughs> I'll hit them both. <laughs> yes, yes, well, yes, definitely. You know, because I will say, Donna, too, the other thing is that we have a lot of traditional businesses that realize that they need to leverage their business online in some shape, form, or fashion. 
And I think what, you know, the last year showed us as well, along with the pandemic, is there are people that knew they needed to be online. They knew they needed to serve more of their product or service online. But then when everything hit, the first thing they thought is, I knew it. I knew I should have been. Now, I couldn't have seen this coming, but I knew I should have been there. So, again, as things open up, what normally happens is, you know, people don't do what they what they should do by the time they should do it in. Something happens, they get kind of like a slap on the hand, and they say, man, I knew this, I knew I should did it the whole time. But then as things start to ease and lax back up, they start to ease and lax up with it. So what I'm telling everybody that's listening to us today to do is say, hey, don't let off. If you're in the middle of getting that website redesigned, you're in the middle of getting those funnels done or, or getting your email sequences completed or whatever you're doing that you saw needed to change over the last year, as things open back up, stay diligent with making sure that those things get done. Well, it's, it's part of those four C's, right? It's that second one. Yep, consistency. 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 Lamar, thank you so much for your time today. I, I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to be keeping an eye and, and watching you soar even higher. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lamar. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dream Big with Big Dreamers. If you like the show, please do us a favor. Go into iTunes and write a review and give us a rating or share it with a friend via social media or email if you think they'd benefit from these conversations. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time. Until then, keep dreaming big.